to 1 Peter chapter 2, and Lita's going to come and read a couple of sections from those words. So the first section we're going to read is 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 4, going down to verse 8, and you can find that on page 1218 of the Church Bibles. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. The second section is going to start at verse 18 of chapter 2, and go down to verse 25. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Thanks, Lisa. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father in heaven, please, as we think about what we face in this world as your people, please give us eyes to see, please give us hearts to receive, and please change us and prepare us, we pray. Amen. Those of you who are here last week will know this, but we're kind of tackling 1 Peter in a slightly different way from the way we normally tackle books of the Bible. Normally we kind of start at the beginning or at the beginning of a section and work kind of through systematically, bit by bit, and that's our main habit, and that's right on a Sunday morning. This series, we're kind of coming to 1 Peter, and we're asking the question, what does life in this world look like, and how do we respond in the light of that? Today we're going to be thinking about our experience in the world, and I want you to kind of think back 20 years if you can. Some of you, that will be actively impossible, Uh, but most of us uh, think back 20 years. If you go back 20 years, the kind of majority position you'd have found is people in our culture would have seen Christians as kind of morally upright, if a little bit uptight, slightly odd, but basically harmless. That was the majority view of Christians in our culture 20 years ago. They weren't really interested in what we had to say, but they weren't offended by us. We were ignored, but we weren't really worried about. Now, however, coming into the present day, 20 years later, 
It's not unanimously this, but in many ways, our culture now sees us as dangerous, as immoral, and as oppressive. Here's one author's reflection on that change. He says, our views are no longer merely seen as wrong, but dangerous. Our views are no longer just seen as a kind of weird minority fringe opinion, kind of ignored in the public square. Instead, in many quarters, our views are seen as a fundamental attack on who people are. We are the oppressor. We are those who are in some way, shape, or form dangerous. Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you, you know what I'm saying. As, as we talk about issues and, and people, rather than just saying, I disagree, now they're actively offended and they tell us we're denying kind of their very being or existence or identity. Worth saying that some research has been done around this uh, by something called the Talking Jesus Survey. And one of the things they've noted is that that is a position that a lot of people hold towards the church, but not really towards individual Christians. There's a really interesting bit of data they've done that basically shows that people have a much more positive view of Christians than they do of the Christian church, the institution. That's just worthwhile us knowing because every time we see in the media this kind of narrative that Christians are dangerous and oppressive and immoral, your, your, your non-Christian friend probably doesn't think that about you. They might do, but they probably don't. We're going to start our time by diving into some discussion groups. And the questions we're going to be asking are this. Where have we experienced this kind of treatment, that sense that we are slightly dangerous and immoral? How do we find ourselves responding in those kind of moments? Discuss those for five minutes or so. Other thoughts? Only one other. It feels like you're walking on eggshells a lot of the time. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it, isn't it? That sense of constantly walking on eggshells. I, I don't know how most of you find that. My, my guess is that most of us find that we're really wearing. There will be some people who, just because of their personality types, find this kind of thing quite exciting. They kind of revel in the fights. But my guess is that's not most of us. Most of, it, of us find it really wearing. And that's where it's helpful to remember what we saw last week, that we are fundamentally exiles in this world. We have a hope for something better. This isn't our home. It's a temporary location, but it's not our ultimate home. We have a hope for something better. One author speaks of the life of the Christian and the life of non-Christian, saying we're in the same physical location, but we're worlds apart. Same physical location, but worlds apart because we have a hope for a better world. Last week we saw that's who we are. We are exiles waiting for something better to come. And this week we're going to be asking the question then, as exiles waiting for something better to come, what should we expect in this world? And the big thing that we see 1 Peter telling us is the big thing we should expect is we should expect that we will suffer trials. Our experience in the world is one of suffering trials. You see it in chapter 1 and verse 6, which will come up on the screen. Chapter 1 and verse 6 says, Now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now in one sense, if you take that verse out of context and just read it on its own, you go, well, that's just a truism for life in a broken world, isn't it? 
life in a broken world, we will all face suffering. We will all suffer grief. That is just normal. Every single person who breathes suffers. That is true, and other places in the Bible talk about that extensively, but here that is not particularly what Peter has in view. Instead, he has a particular type of suffering in view that he speaks to throughout his letter, and you see it probably most clearly in a couple of verses in chapter 4. They're going to come up as well. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, if you suffer as a Christian, the kind of suffering that Peter particularly is speaking about is the kind of suffering that we face because we are Christians. At the point in history when Peter is writing, it's not yet at that point in church history where the kind of Roman Empire as a whole have decided to kind of set about state-sponsored persecution of the church. That happens a bit after Peter writes. So at this point, it's, it's not the kind of state-sponsored persecution. It is just the persecution on the ground of your non-Christian neighbors, friends, colleagues, whatever it may be, and the way they relate to you as a Christian. That's what Peter is speaking about. And as he speaks about this suffering, these trials that we face, he wants us to know a few things about this suffering. We're going to look at three particularly. The first is that this suffering is unjust. We suffer trials that are unjust. Look down at chapter 2, verse 18. Hopefully you've still got that open. If not, do reopen it. We're going to be dwelling in words in chapter 2 quite a bit. Chapter 2, verse 18 to 21 speaks about slaves and how they're to relate to their masters, particularly Christian slaves relating to non-Christian masters. The closest parallel we have today is the the Christian employee and the non-Christian employer. And what does it say, verse 19? If someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. Or chapter 3, verse 14, which is just over on the same kind of double page if you've got a Bible open. If you should suffer for what is right... Or verse, chapter 3, verse 17, suffering for doing good. It comes up again and again. The suffering that Peter is talking about is the suffering people face for doing the right thing. Suffering for doing good. What Peter wants us to know is doing the right thing doesn't guarantee that we will not suffer. Doing the right thing doesn't protect us from harm, necessarily. It's not that the way God has set things up. It's not that... Because you're one of his people, as long as you obey him, you'll live a perfectly comfortable life. That is not what the Christian life is. So, for example, if you're applying to a job, and you know most people basically embellish their CVs, but you won't because you're a Christian and you won't lie, just because you're doing the right thing doesn't guarantee that you'll get the job. You may go months, if not years, hunting for a job because other people are willing to lie. That is suffering for doing right. That is the kind of thing we are to expect in this world. We are to expect trials to come our way that are unjust. The second thing we're going to see about these trials is that they can be physical. They can be physical. So you see it again in those words. Chapter 2, verse 20. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong? Sometimes the trials that come to Christians are physical. In other countries, that is really, really common. That is the norm in lots of countries in our world. That is obviously not the norm here. It is pretty rare for people to suffer physically in our country because they're Christian. It's not impossible, and it sometimes happens incidentally. 
I don't know if you read the story, kind of just after Christmas this year, there was a woman lying injured, and a man walking past saw her in need, and he went over to help her, and he got mown down by a car, intentionally, murdered. I called Chris Marriott. Chris Marriott was a Christian, and the reason he went over to help that woman was because he knew it was the right thing to do. He suffered for being a Christian. Not directly, not kind of, it wasn't that the driver knew he was a Christian and wanted to hurt him because of it, but because he did what was right, he suffered physically. Sometimes the suffering we face, the trials we face, can be physical. But it's worth noting that that really isn't the norm. And so we face trials that can be physical or verbal. That can be physical or verbal. That's the next thing that's going to pop up. We see it in chapter 3, verse 9. Chapter 3, verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Implication of those words, these Christians were being insulted. You get it more clearly in chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. So if you've got a Bible, flick over just one page to chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Let me read those. Peter says, you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. In many ways, I think those are some of the most contemporary-sounding verses in the Bible. If you strip out the word pagans and carousing, because we don't really use those words particularly, but the concept is so, so contemporary, isn't it? Students, I imagine you face this. Teenagers, you'll face some of this. Your friends, your non-Christian friends, going out, getting drunk, being sexually promiscuous. And then they are surprised that you don't join them, and then they heap abuse on you. You're a prude. You're so boring. Just learn to live a little. Ever heard any of those kind of things? The abuse, the trials that Christians face can often be verbal. That's probably the norm, and I guess some of us will experience that in lots of different ways, either as we kind of refrain from these kind of activities or just as we go about our daily lives seeking to honor the Lord. We suffer trials that can be physical, that can be verbal. We suffer trials that is to be expected. We suffer trials that are to be expected. So look down at chapter 4, verse 12, if you're still on that double page. Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Expect this kind of thing. This isn't something strange. This is exactly what we are to expect. Or chapter 5, verse 9. Resist the devil. Stand firm in the faith. Why? Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Peter says this is the normal Christian experience. The normal Christian experience is to suffer trials. It is to be reviled. It is to be opposed. That is just what we are to expect. We live in a weird culture, in a sense, that we can kind of look back to a past time where this wasn't the norm. But generally speaking, this is the norm. Peter's saying here, throughout the world, that was the norm in those times. 
throughout the world and throughout history, this is the normal experience. It's not just geographically that it was true then, though it is historically true. Christians are those who face suffering. One author describes it well in a quote that's going to come up on the screen. God's people have been the bad guy before. Scripture assumes it. Jesus predicted it. The apostles experienced it. And we, as those who stand downstream from the apostles, will experience it too. We suffer trials that are unjust, that can be physical or verbal. Those trials are to be expected. Go back into discussion groups for a few moments. A couple of questions uh, to discuss. How does the way that they, the, the hearers of 1 Peter, chime with what we experience today? In what ways is it a help to know that we aren't unique in facing this? Turn and discuss those for five minutes. Uh, the, the fact that God's people all throughout history face these kind of sufferings is one of many reasons why reading Christian biographies is a really helpful thing to do. Because it means that we hear about Christians who've suffered in the past in similar or in different ways and how the Lord kept them going. That's an aside, but just uh, if that's helpful for someone. The main big thing we've seen, what is our experience in the world? Our experience is one of suffering trials. It is one of suffering trials just like Jesus did for us. Suffering trials just like Jesus did for us. We see three things about the suffering that Jesus faced uh, in these words through 1 Peter. The first is that Jesus suffered rejection. Jesus suffered rejection. So look with me at chapter 2 and verse 4. As you come to him, that's Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Jesus came into this world and he was rejected by humans. Haven't we seen that as we worked through John's Gospel on Sunday mornings? He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. He healed a man, but he did it on a Sabbath, as the religious leaders tried to kill him. He speaks of the gift of God, the bread from heaven. He speaks of himself as the bread of life, and people leave him. Jesus knows what it's like to face rejection. If you face rejection for following Jesus, know that your Savior knows what that's like. Jesus faced rejection. Second thing we see about what Jesus faces, he faced insult. Chapter 2, verse 23. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. Just think of those days leading up to the cross, those, all those hours leading up to the cross, as he faces a sham trial. As he, the king of all the universe, is dressed in a robe, has a crown of thorns forced down onto his forehead and has soldiers mockingly bow to him. Or as he goes on to the cross, save yourself, you saved others. If you're really the king of the Jews, come down from here. And so on and so forth. As he hung he faced insult after insult. 
if you get insulted for following Jesus, know that Jesus was insulted first. He knows what it's like to face insult. And the final thing we see is that Jesus knows what it's like to face physical suffering. Chapter 2, verse 23 goes on. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Peter goes on to speak of the cross. Why? In a section which we saw earlier was about facing a beating for doing good. Well, because the cross is the ultimate example of someone doing good and receiving a beating. Doing good and physically suffering. Physically suffering in inexplicably painful ways. The agony of the cross, the horror of the cross, so offensive to the human ear that it was banned in polite conversation. And yet, Jesus faced it for us. If you ever physically suffer for being a Christian, or you know others that do, Jesus knows what that's like. He suffered first. And remarkably, he did all those things for us. Chapter 2, verse 21, we're called to follow in his footsteps. Yes, this is an example, but he suffered for us, not just as an example, but by his wounds we have been healed. He bore our sins in his body. He suffered all of this because we rejected God. The one who calls us to suffer, suffered first. And he didn't suffer just as a mere example. No, he suffered because you and I turned our backs on him. But he wanted to make a way that we could be saved. Us suffering then as followers of Jesus isn't a case of Well, he suffered for us, and now we have to kind of make it up to him and suffer for him. He's not a cruel master like that. It's not tit for tat with Jesus. No, instead, chapter 4, verse 13. Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. We are participating with our Savior. We are walking the path that he walked. As we suffer for him, we increasingly grasp who he is better and see more of what he has done for us. In this world, our experience will be one of suffering trials, just like Jesus did for us. And now we know that there are a bunch of different ways we could respond. There are a bunch of wrong ways we could respond. If we know that this is the typical experience, there are a bunch of things we could end up doing. Here's the first wrong step we could take. Okay, so so if if the Christian message is one that's going to get me persecutor is going to mean that I'm going to suffer. What I need to do is change the message because I don't want to suffer. There are really blatant ways that people do that as they just flat out deny things that the Bible says are true and then they still call themselves Christians. There are probably more subtle ways that we need to be aware that we will be tempted towards doing that as we go quieter on the things that are less culturally acceptable, as we try and think about doing church in a way that is the, you know, as culturally acceptable as possible. That would be a wrong step to take. 
Yeah, we don't want to be unnecessarily alien, but at the same time, we don't want to just trim off any edge our culture won't like until we end up becoming just like our culture. That'd be one dangerous wrong step we could take. Another dangerous wrong step we could take would just be to give up with engaging with the world. To give up making known among the nations what the Lord has done, because if we go to them and tell them, we know that they might oppose us, and so I guess then the best solution is just to not go to them. And so we stick together, we minimize contact with non-Christians, shut ourselves off from the world, and in doing so, we reject the calling that God has given us. Chapter 2, verse 9, we're told we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? That we may declare the praises of him who called, you out, called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are made a people in part so we can proclaim the wonder of who God is to a watching world. Misstep number one would be to change the message. Misstep number two would be to withdraw from the world. Those would be two ways we could minimize suffering but aren't the right steps to take. There's also a misstep in the other direction, which is when we come out swinging. There's a culture war, bring it on. My guess is that's probably not a danger for many of us, but it might be for some of us. We're going to suffer for following Jesus, great. And so we go out gung-ho, kind of completely relationally insensitively, and we, we get people offended by us, and then we go, it's all just the message of the cross. That's the offense. But it might well be that what's actually objectionable is not the message, but the messenger. We need to be careful that we constantly speak with truth and grace. We'll think a bit more about that next week. Next week, we're going to think much more about the right ways to respond. But the big take-home today is this. Know what the likely experience is, so that when it happens, you're not surprised. The likely experience in this world, there will be some positives. We'll talk a bit more about that next week as well. But the likely experience in many cases in this world will be one of suffering trial. What's going to get us through that? It's remembering what we saw last week. This isn't our home. We're hoping for something better. And it's remembering that Jesus went there first. He suffered for us. A couple more discussion questions uh, to go into groups and talk about how have Peter's words helped us as suffering comes our way? How can we keep coming back to Jesus' suffering in those moments? Why don't we spend kind of five minutes talking about that and then turn and pray together in groups? Discussion happened. I'm aware I made you pray before you fed back, which means you've forgotten everything you said. But let's go back five minutes in our mind. Five minutes is a very long time to go back. Can anyone remember five minutes ago?
Yeah, definitely. Great. We, we've seen this week something of what we'll face our experience in the world. If that felt a bit like a downer session, uh, next week will be slightly more uplifting um, as we'll think a bit about how conduct in the world, how to respond well. Uh, we're going to close with a song uh, that reminds us of the suffering that Jesus faced and reminds us that we follow in his footsteps. Let's stand and sing together. Some words from Peter to encourage us as we close. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for joining us.